Welcome to The Outsiders. It's episode number 64. I cannot believe it, Robin. Nor can I, but here we are. <laughs> and not only are we here today, joining us from Sportsnet in Edmonton is Gene Principe. Gino, what are you wearing? Oh, Viva Italia. He's Viva getting... Italia. Nice. Are you going to rub in the fact that they, they with a, uh, a squad that didn't play seven or eight of their big gunners, still beat Wales oh. one nothing? You know, I, I think I was the only guy that didn't play for Italy in that final match versus Wales. It was incredible. I've never, I've never seen at uh, that level, certainly for Italy and almost for any uh, country, to make as many changes as they did. I guess that bodes well. They still were able to win the match. Uh, everyone seemed to get through unscathed, and especially even a late change uh, in net. Uh, so it was it was an interesting match, uh, a little less drama than the the first two because they are already advanced. But uh, uh, the energy, the nervousness, uh, the tingling, the excitement—it's just a wonderful time uh, when you're watching Euro and uh, you've got a horse or a country in the race. Now, now, Gina, I gotta t- tell everybody: not only are you the unofficial mayor of Little Italy uh, in, <laughs> in Edmonton. You're a, you're a huge soccer guy. Beyond being a fan, you've been a referee. But I tell you what, the Italian community is going to get together and have a hell of a good time at an event like this, no matter what. But when you've got a stud team that's 3-0, and that's unbeaten in its last 30 games, it's got to be a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think that uh, with uh, restrictions seemingly opening up, somewhat um, in line with Euro, uh, the possibility of uh, stuffing safely uh, as many Italians as, as possible into the Little Italy area uh, to watch the match would be fantastic. And, you know, the other thing is there's there's a couple of sort of different layers to this. And, and first is, is soccer-wise. Italy didn't make the World Cup in 2018. It was the first time they missed in 60 years. So there's a lot of people uh, on this planet that are Italian fans that had that had never seen that happen, and I'm one of them. I'm 54, and I and I think as well. I want to say this properly, but I think Italy was one of the first countries to be really ravaged uh, by COVID, and I I think that uh, many people around the world were watching Italy and wondering uh, what's going on, and is that going to happen here? And so I think that the squad has sort of taken it upon their shoulders to be. Uh, a shining light uh, during a difficult time, and uh, we're all looking for different shining lights during a difficult time. But I, I really think this squad has kind of become that for the country. Uh, and, and there's nothing, and you two know it, um, whether it's formerly the Edmonton Eskimos, uh, the Edmonton Oilers, pick your city, pick your squad, pick your country, that brings people together like sports. Uh, those that don't normally watch it, start watching it. Those that watch it all the time, watch it with an even uh, greater passion. So it's it's wonderful to be connected to an event like this and to an Italian squad, Robin, like you said, that is on uh, an epic run historically uh, for this nation. So l- let me ask you this. We're living in a country right now where we have three times as many soccer moms as we do hockey moms. And I know it's the other network, their TV ratings for Euro 2020, even though it's 2021 are very good. And this is the early going. They'll only get stronger and stronger. Uh, And with the performance of the Canadian men's national team, 
who are now into qualifying and they're into the, the final eight in CONCACAF. There's a lot of positives that you can be taken from what we're seeing here, Gene. Are you feeling the same way? Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, listen, it's, it's hard not to get seduced by an event like Euro uh, when you've got, you know, heritage history uh, that connects you to, you know, whatever country. I mean, listen, uh, you run into you know, Portuguese people and Polish people and you see more uh, soccer jerseys now than, than you'll normally see, let's say, even six weeks ago. But then the other side of it is Canada. And, I mean, Alfonso Davies and company have had, uh, you know, they, they haven't been this far in a long time. And those of us that are a little older will remember Bob Leonard Dutzi, oh, yeah. uh, Bruce Wilson, and, and uh, the squad from 1986 that made it uh, to the World Cup but didn't score a goal, didn't win a match. And that's that's a long time ago. And I, I think things are changing. I know I've been trying to track down some Alfonso Davies jerseys, and it's a little easier to find them from his club team, Bayern Munich, than it is Canada. But I, I think that's that's changing. He's a, a wonderful young man that's taken on various roles on the pitch, off the pitch, uh, in regards to his role with the United Nations and helping refugees because he once was a refugee, as was his entire family. So absolutely, Bryn, I, I agree. Uh, soccer fever has come and gone and come and gone, particularly in this country. But right now, it's here and it's growing. And one last thing on that, Robin, before you jump in, is that we have a World Cup coming up in Qatar next year, but the following year, it's North America. Canada's going to qualify. So the, the next year, this is a big year for Canada, I think. Oh, absolutely. And listen, I'm, I'm already trying to work deals for those tickets for 2026. I remember still one of my great uh, memories was back in the early 90s. Uh, Brazil was uh, tuning up for a World Cup, and they came and played at Commonwealth Stadium. And uh, Canada had a hell of a match. They yep. drew it one. And, uh, you know, back then, uh, Romario and Bebeto, I mean, they had, well, Brazil is always world class. And uh, that's what they were then as well. And, you know, it, it just, you know, it, it's such a pride. It's such a passion. And I, one thing I love about uh, soccer and Italian, not Italian, but international matches, um, you know, they, they play the anthem off the top. And, you know, who wouldn't, whether it's if I was playing across the street and they play the Canadian anthem or in this case or the Italian anthem or whatever, you know, one or two or three countries you might be connected to. My wife is German, so the kids, they pull for Germany as well. So uh, when that anthem plays, I think that's where you think about everything that uh, you've been through, your family's been through, and the connection you have to that country. And what a way to kick off a match. Gene, you talked about going old school with Bob Leonard Doozy. Now, that's only kind of old school. Yeah. I, I used to sit at Empire Stadium in Vancouver watching the New York Cosmos oh. and Giorgio Canali and yeah, yeah. Pele yeah. Uh, and the Whitecaps play the Whitecaps and the Chicago Sting. And, and yeah. I tell you what, I was just a kid then, and I thought, this is fantastic. I mean – Soccer is not up there for me with hockey as an adult. I just, you know, we're here, we're here in Canada. I always thought it would grow. I got to Edmonton. There were, the drillers were still here. Yeah. I've almost been waiting my whole life for it to become bigger here, not in the world, but in Canada than what it is, you know, at the club level, uh, at the, at the league level. Um, why, why haven't we seen that growth? You're a, you're a soccer fan. You know, it's a passion. It's a passion in Europe. It's a sport, but not a passion here. Yeah, I know, Robin, you're right. And I remember those days, Shep Messing, Werner Roth that played for the Cosmos, Pelé, of course. Uh, I mean, I, I remember, as a, I would say I was about 14, 13, 15, somewhere kind of a young teenager. And on a Sunday, the, the, the drillers would play, pick a team, Tampa Bay Rowdies, yeah. Fort Lauderdale Strikers, and you'd go to Commonwealth Stadium, and there'd be 35, 40,000 fans, you know, in the stands. I mean, it was a well-attended event. Peter Pocklington used to own the team, and there was something happening. And, Robin, I know I'm with you, buddy. I, I, I have wondered what the answer to that question is for decades. Uh, why do we sometimes find some traction then lose it and then can't seem to get it back? literally not years, but decades. 
And then when we do get it back, it's it's hard to keep it. And, you know, we know the drill. Uh, Bryn, you mentioned all the soccer moms and dads out there and how many kids play the sport. And they've tried to work with minor soccer. I, I don't know, but I, I do think this, Robin, that the bigger Canada becomes in the world for soccer, the bigger it becomes back home. And I, and I think, I, I hate to say that, but it seems that it legitimizes our Canadian soccer athletes uh, when they succeed elsewhere and then come home and gather for the country. And, and certainly, listen, you know, 2022 rolls around and Canada's in there with Alfonso and company. You'll be seeing jerseys. You'll be seeing people gathering. But if they don't make it, then that kind of sets you back. And there's other events like the Gold Cup, which is a big event. But, you know, for us, we don't, we don't have the, the Euros. So we've got basically kind of the Gold Cup and the World Cup. But yeah. to get into the World Cup and – then get in again, obviously as a host, but potentially earn it as well in 2026. 20, now you've got some momentum and something that carries through. And so these kids that are 20 are thinking about it. Those that are 10, those that are 30, even you know adults our age, are uh, getting on the, the soccer bandwagon. So I hope we can find some fan consistency so it just doesn't kind of go away and come back every once in a while. It's funny you should mention, Robin, uh, going to Empire Stadium because I actually, when we were in Vancouver once, had a chance to go to a Whitecaps game. And who were they playing? They were playing Pele and the New York Cosmos. We were lucky to get a pair of tickets. And we They weren't great seats, but we were just thrilled to be there. My favorite Vancouver Whitecap was uh, Carl Valentine. And I also like Willie Johnson, who uh, was a Scottish national who was playing there, along with Bob Leonard Doozy. It was just fun. And then here in, here in Edmonton, it was the same way with the Edmonton Drillers. But we and we played a very Dutch style of game, and uh, it was just it was fun times. But you know, you it was really tough if you didn't have a local interest to root for. Your passion just never got pushed to the next level. And and Gene, I'm with you completely. I think we now have a squad of uh, local talent that is coming up, and just to watch what Alfonso Davies has done over in Munich has been amazing. And so now people all of a sudden people who are not soccer fans, I'm noticing are noticing, and I think that that's a yeah. huge step forward. Well, and I, I love what TV has done. Listen, I know I work in television, and you mentioned the other network with uh, with Euro, but I, I remember as a, as a you know, 15, 16-year-old, we, we used to have to go to Sorrentino's here in Castledowns on the north side at 6 a.m. because they had, like, the only satellite dish, and we could pick up Italian soccer, or you went down to Little Italy to watch a match. Well, now yeah, you, you get uh, the other network, you get Sportsnet, you get Sportsnet World, and you're watching uh, soccer from – all across the world, right in your living room. And so I think back to what you said, Rob, and I think the exposure of that, people watching Alfonso, for example, and, you know, it's, it's hard not to use him as uh, the guy because of the club that he plays for and, uh, you know, the fact last year they won the treble and they won the Bundesliga again. So I think that helps as well. But at the end of it, guys, they've, they've got to win. They've got to be in these events uh, because it, it just doesn't – it's not – football or, or hockey in this country that if your team doesn't make the playoffs, you, you know, you're still dedicated. You're, you're not, you know, turning off and then not coming back the next training camp or the next fall. Uh, with soccer in Canada, I think we need success. We need to find what the women have found and take what they have done, which has been a, a strong run. And if we can get to that level, fantastic. If there's anything higher than that, well, that would be a bonus. Hey, let's talk about the women's game for a moment here because – you were uh, you were privileged to be uh, one of the hosts when the Canadian national women's team was here at Commonwealth Stadium on that incredible fun run where we just watched Team Canada do a surge with this this young player named Christine Sinclair. Yeah, and uh, and I know you had the episode where we started calling you Mean Jean because after <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Yeah, I mean she cried for you uh, yeah, a post game, but that that was a memory. You've had people cry for you on interviews, Patrick Maroon, yeah. and now yeah. oh man. Those are the two that are memorable. And back to Christine, you know, they played the U.S. in the final at Commonwealth full. I remember I was working for Sportsnet, and I happened to be on. I had done some coverage because there had been a group in Victoria and Vancouver and Edmonton. And then I, was, I had just booked holidays. Like, who knew, right, that this was going to happen? I remember my boss called and said, uh, hey, what are you up to? So, well, I'm just in Edmonton. Uh, you think you could work uh, the final Canada-US? I'm like, I think I could find my way to Commonwealth <laughs> Stadium for that. And I remember Christine missed an early 
opportunity, literally six yard box, which yeah. she was like golden, right? She would put those in the back of the onion bag, as they say, all the time. And so post game, we're interviewing her and I, I'll never forget because I, and I, you guys know what it's like really we're an extension of the fan the viewer the person at home right so you're you're trying to ask the questions you think they would want to hear and I was just in my own mind I was struggling like devil angel devil do I ask it and then I did ask it and the poor girl she was you know she was like 17 18 she started crying right and I felt horrendous and I you know to this day it's something I always remember and I remember post match later in the night one of my bosses said you know, amateur athlete, young, not young woman, but young athlete, I don't think you should have asked it. The other bigger boss, thankfully it was the bigger boss, said you had to ask that because that was really a story of the match. Here's your, your golden girl who has an opportunity to give you a lead in the final, and she doesn't, so you had to ask it. So it was uh, it was an interesting time, and the Pat Maroon was a little more – he kind of took it. I didn't. I don't think it was the question so much. It was seeing his son Anthony on TV and scoring that goal. We don't see that a lot from athletes. Um, you know, it just doesn't happen very often. So when it does, you hope it's kind of for the right reason and not the wrong one. That's just like Gene bringing <laughs> bringing the fastball when the athlete's yes. already down. <laughs> Softball. Yes. Um, you mentioned Christine Sinclair, and, and we're talking about Alfonso Davies. To me, in any sport, the number one thing to grow it, to raise interest, is success. The other thing you want is that face where, whether it's little girls with Christine Sinclair saying, I want to be like her, or uh, Alfonso Davies. Has there been a, a player this good, uh, this young as Alfonso Davies on the men's side that you've ever seen? You know, I don't think so, Robin. I, I think back uh, to some players, Paul Pesciolito, you know, we go back a bit, uh, Stalteri. Um, you know, I think I, I think the guy who could have made a difference is still, I'm a little sour about it, was Owen Hargraves. If you go back about 20 years and yeah. Owen was a Canadian but could have played for Wales, in fact, Canada or England. And uh, he didn't choose Canada. And I always felt like that was who, you know, he would have been a star. Now he was, he did play for the national team for England and, and went to, you know, huge events and represented them. But I, I always thought that he, the bigger picture, he would have been kind of an Alfonso Davies 20 years ago. And I always thought, I don't know, I don't want to say it was a mistake because I'm not in his soccer boots. So I, I can't say it was a mistake, but I thought for the country, it was a step back because I think if he had played for Canada, uh, it would have been an instant attraction to the men's team, and he would have made it better uh, and would have helped them with success. But he, he chose, let's say, the easier route, but a different route. Um, and he had his options, and he took them, which I guess in life we all want options. But he's the last guy, I think, uh, Robin, that had kind of a world power to him uh, since Alfonso. We've had Canadians play you know, overseas, Kevin McKenna played over there and uh, Jason DeVos, and, but not like Alfonso. And I think the other thing, Robin, is, you know, you'd, you'd have a guy playing in Germany and he might not have had, let's say, a huge role, but when would you see him? When did you see the Bundesliga? How, how could you see it, right? Right. Uh, where, where now we've got the guy and we've got the avenue to watch the guy. So I think the combo is great. And listen, Alfonso's, what a story, right? Refugee camp comes to Edmonton, uh, literally the shirts on their back, and look at them now. And so there's there's more to it than just on the pitch. So, Robin, there have been guys, I think, close, but I don't think there has ever been, or for the near future, will be anyone like Alphonse. The other thing, too, that's fascinated me, a few years ago when he came out to drop the puck at the start of an yeah. Oiler-Flames game, he was there, and I was looking at very carefully to see how what the reaction would be from Connor McDavid, and Mark Giordano, and both of them were like, like, wow, this this guy, and let alone what the look on the face of uh, Leon Dreisaitl will be, yeah. who, who you know, obviously gets the updates constantly from Germany, but you could just sure. see those three athletes at the hockey level were looking at this kid who's from here in Edmonton who's doing this at a world level, and you could just see the admiration that they had for him. I thought that was kind of a special moment. Yeah, and I think there's the understanding, and Leon understands it more. Yes, uh, you know, because of his background and and 
where he's from. But listen, be, when we were in Germany with the team, a couple of 20, I think it was 2018 when we went over to Sweden and Germany. Uh, listen, if, if Leon Dreisaitl, who was becoming a 50 goal scorer and a Hart Trophy winner, not at that time, walked down the street or Manuel Neuer or Thomas Muller, or, you know, uh, pick a, a German player. And it's no comparison. And that's not a shot at Leon. He plays overseas. He plays when games are at two or three in the morning, for example, when Edmonton is playing. But he has grown the game and he's grown his status uh, back in Germany. Soccer is, is all around the world. And that's it, bottom line. Um, if Connor McDavid walked around the streets of uh, Naples, Napoli, I don't know how many people would recognize him. But you throw in a Messi or Ronaldo or Alfonso, or, and I'm not saying he's at that level, but it's just different, right? People all around the world watch soccer. People all around the world watch hockey, but I would say not to the extent that they watch the beautiful game. Now, you want to shift gears a little bit and get yeah. back to uh, stick and puck over hey, here? Because- but before we do, though, Robin, because this is, we got a, we got a, we got a bridge here. Gene, you you officiated at the soccer at a high level of soccer for 15 years. Let's first start talking about the officiating at the Euro, which I think has been exceptional. Let's talk yeah. about uh, some of your refereeing experience, and then let's talk about the NHL, which the refereeing has been absolutely atrocious through these plays. So that's where you're going with that, Robin. I was. We were talking about that earlier. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the stories. Again, sadly. Uh, in the postseason here, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know about the officiating at the Euro uh, 2020, but uh, Gene certainly has watched uh, watched it, and he knows of what he speaks, having done it himself for years and years. Yeah, uh, Brennan and Robin, it was uh, one of the great, I was like 25 years old, and I'd actually had uh, both my uh, knees scoped from playing soccer, and I was kind of tired of being injured, so I thought, well, what would be kind of a, a neat way to stay in the game? And at that point, not married, no kids, didn't really think I was coaching interested, so I thought, well, it would be neat to be a referee. You're, you're on the pitch, you're physical, you're running. Theoretically, you're not getting tackled, hopefully, if you're handling your cards right and your calls right. And so that's what I did. And I did it for 15 years. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. It was, uh, you know, for officiating, you go kind of from a level three to a level two to a level one to nominated national to national to to FIFA. And I made it to nominated national. One of my great regrets is I was at a camp in uh, Ontario and it was uh, we had to write a test. And I was not great at writing tests and uh, I needed an 85 and I got 80. And I was 35, we were having kids, I was getting busy with the Oilers, I had to miss some assignments, uh, soccer assignments, because of hockey, my, my, you know, my career. Uh, and so between the mark and the fact I would have had to wait two more years to move up to national, family, work, so I never quite, I always wanted to be a national referee, and I never quite made it, but I loved it. And I loved it, uh, it didn't matter how old what gender. I loved it after a game um, when players would say, you know, thanks, you know, like, good job. Like, I always felt like I was, a play- I tried to be a player's ref. Uh, I didn't run around there just because I had the cards uh, that I wanted to act like, hey, you know, I'm going to use these at any moment. Yeah, you have to use them sometime, but I really tried not to. Uh, I always felt like it wasn't my job to kick people out of the game. It was my job to keep them in the game as it was for the player themselves. So I loved refereeing. Um, the Euro refereeing has been fantastic so far, knock on wood, no issues to speak of. And as for the NHL refereeing, I cannot believe on social media, people are just ravaging uh, the remains of these referees. I don't know what the NHL, uh, like, I, I know the NHL follows social media to some extent. I don't know if they respond or react to social media, but people seem outraged, absolutely outraged at, at what they've seen and what they've seen called, or it seems like more importantly, non-called. I, I don't know if that's going to change, but it, I mean, it, we're at the creme de la creme now. We're into the final four teams. You should have the best referees in the league on the ice uh, virtually every game. Well, What's frightening about that for me, Gene, because I agree, um, I can't believe in all the years you would have refereed soccer that you made as brutal a non-call as we saw last night. When you're down to this level, it's supposed to be your best officials. Uh, Suzuki gets punched in the mouth. Uh, Chris Lee is standing right there. 
And it's almost like he sees it and he goes, if I look away now, people will think I didn't see it. I mean, (laughs) singling out guys is tough, but look, they're, they're paid professionals. They're, they're doing their job in public. This is a, this is a problem, not just Chris Lee, but this kind of officiating does not help sell the game. Does it? No, it doesn't. And Robin, listen, you know, you've been around it a lot and Brendan, the referees are good dudes. Like they're, they're, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. We don't, the only time we as media kind of get to see a referee is, you know, after the game, if they're out for a pop or you run into them at an airport or uh, maybe if you catch them walking into a game, we, we always see them with the whistle and the stripes and making critical decisions. But I, I'm curious, I don't know what the NHL is going to do. We've, we've still got, a, the finish to, to the conference finals and, of course, the Stanley Cup final. Um, it's a cliche, but they really need to get on whatever is the, the page that they want everyone on. Uh, I don't know if there will be some form of assessment uh, with officials uh, heading into – I'm not saying it's too late for the conference finals, but certainly heading into the Stanley Cup final. It, it's been a strange playoff, and I would say – You know, there's always some banter about the officials. Always, 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 and always will be. But this year seems like a a level I I can't remember before. I even see, honestly, I'll be honest with you, I'm not comfortable penciling in one official on social media. I might say something to my kids or, you know, we're chatting. Yeah. But some of the, you know, like they've been going after individual people and, uh, that's a tough job, and maybe because I officiated soccer not at that level, uh, it, it's hard to get everything right. But I do agree, Robin and Bryn, we, we don't want uh, a non-call or a, a call that seems absolutely inappropriate, uh, costing two teams or one team, once we're in the final, the opportunity of winning the Stanley Cup. Well, it doesn't help, too, when you have an open mic on a referee and and we start to hear that there's a management of the game going on, even though we've probably all believed it. I mean, that didn't yeah. help. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, Timmy Peel, who, you know, uh, was retiring this year, and uh, well, he's one of the good, like, one of the really good guys. Like, you, you meet these guys, and they're really interesting uh, guys who have committed, uh, you know, a lot of time, a lot of travel, a lot of time away from their families. They love their job. Uh, no complaints, but uh, they are an important part of the game. Uh, and, and I know, listen, we always talk about in this market, Connor McDavid, and how does he not draw more penalties? And why isn't he uh, spending less time being hooked and held? And I, I'm sure they look at it. Uh, I, I wonder, though, Robin and Bryn, I think after this year, I, I think there'll be some I don't know if major changes, but they're really going to look at it and, and figure out what they're doing right and then also figure out maybe what they're not doing so right so they can get it as correct as possible heading into next season. Well, and to me, part of it, uh, and Bryn and I were discussing this earlier, I'm wondering what the new TV deal in the, in the U.S., if that'll play into the old complaint, a common complaint no matter, you know, because everybody has their own interests. If you're after a game is not the time to discuss officiating. Yep. But big picture – the NBA lets its stars shine. It sells the the marquee names. When you've got 17 of 18 of the highest paid players in the National Hockey League not playing anymore, um, it's not about tailoring the game for them, but just letting them play. Call the book and the best players will shine. I wonder if the new TV deal, somebody will have a conversation saying, can we consider this? I, I think so. Uh, <laughs> you know, as uh, I, I think it was, uh, I think it was Sir John Foley in the old Stampede Wrestling days. Ed Whalen, money talks. You know, like that's true. I, I really believe that it, it does. And if listen, we can sell the game in Canada. It's sold, and we're going to keep selling it in the U.S. Certain markets are wonderful. Certain markets are are continuing to grow. And listen. We, we want to see Ovechkin be able to shoot the puck on the one-timer. We want to be able to see McDavid go end-to-end. We want to be able to say Leon, see Leon Dreisaitl fight off players 
but not a whole team. I mean, you, you want to see the stars shine, and I agree, Robin. Um, I've always felt like it's a difficult – like I know when you're on a team, you, you want to treat everybody the same, but not everybody is the same. And there are people that – and we're lucky in Edmonton because people go to watch those two guys. I mean, they'll buy a ticket or people will – go to another city to watch those two guys, Leon and Connor. I mean, what a, that's incredible. And Alex and, and Sydney. And if you love goaltending, you're going to pay to watch Gary Price. I mean, there's so many wonderful players in the National Hockey League that people pay to go see. So let them, if you can, let them perform, right? Let them perform. You wouldn't go to Vegas and watch, go on and watch a show on the strip and, and uh, the, um, performer doesn't have the lights right or the mic isn't working or there's too many extras around that person like that's what they pay to see so let them let them see the performer have his performance or her performance you're just going to throw that line away like to me you got to grab the mic and go money talks mr Allen, and then you have to do that <laughs> like ed would always do ed, oh i know ed we're gonna party tonight you're not invited <laughs> oh i miss stampede wrestling uh what a that, uh, that was part of our, our Saturday routine stampede in the afternoon that would lead to hockey night in Canada. Anyways, for those of us who grew up in Alberta and are of the age that you and I are, Brent. Did you ever get a chance to meet Ed? Cause Ed was a great guy. <laughs> I did. I, Hey, how you doing hey, kid? Hey, yeah, he, save Ed your was money. Legendary. Save your money. <laughs> Ed was a legendary guy. I mean, we've, we've, we've had uh, guys come through here, Al McCann and of course, Rod Phillips and, Oh, those legendary broadcasters. I mean, that's, just like kids watch athletes and want to be like athletes, that's kind of what we do at some point when you kind of think, hey, I don't think I'm going to be wearing this jersey for real at a World Cup, so what am I going to do? Let's let's see if we become a broadcaster. So, yeah, those guys are legendary uh, leaders of broadcasters, you know, like us, those of us who watched them growing up and thought one day I wouldn't mind being like that. Now, let's talk about the best stories going now on the, on the ice Gene, uh, Montreal Canadiens. I don't know of anybody, honestly, who at the start of the year, uh, well, maybe maybe a bit at the start of the year, but certainly yeah. at the start of the playoffs, thought, it'll, yeah, it'll be the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights. I, I'm a sucker for an underdog. How about you? I am as well. And, and you know, I, um, I like Montreal. Uh, I've always been a Carey Price fan. Um, a number of years ago, I would say about, about three years ago, there was a young boy that I uh, was uh, introduced to who was unfortunately, uh, you know, fatally ill. And uh, his parents put together a, a checklist along with him of things that he would like to do uh, before he passed. I know this is a bit ominous and a bit sad, but one of the things was to meet Carrie Price. Well, Jerry Johansson, who's Carrie's agent, you know, Montreal doesn't get her, you know, once a year, unlike this year. Uh, so, you, you know, you never know if it's a back-to-back or the situation. It was a back-to-back, which is often the case through Alberta. And, you know, Carrie the next day spent about a half hour with this young guy and uh, signed stuff and hung out with him in a conference room. And uh, God bless Jerry Johansson for, for setting that up and understanding that, you know, there's some things that just, if you can do as an athlete, uh, you know, we're going to forget what his goals against average was this year. Uh, but that family will never forget uh, what Kerry did for them. And so I've always, I've always pulled for Kerry. And who doesn't, you know, it's a Canadian squad. I understand they're from all over the world, but they're still based in Montreal. And for anyone who's been to Montreal for a game in the old building or the new building, I mean, it's Saturday night every night. It's such a fantastic building. So uh, uh, the idea of Vegas, yeah, it's kind of intriguing because they built this team from 2018 that just doesn't seem to stop. Uh, but who wouldn't be pulling for, for Canada and for Montreal, certainly if you live in this country. But when everybody's been so dismissive in the U.S. of this northern division, this is kind of oh, – I'm loving that part I, of this. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I did not understand that. I, I never got into it, um, and I just didn't understand why a division with this many great players – had some great goalies, Connor Hellebuck, to go along with Price, and you know, not to mention the season that Mike Smith had. I, I don't know why it was, yeah, like <laughs> kind of like uh, you know the the last kid in line at recess. You just yeah, okay, right, I'll be right with you. Like you know, they, I don't know why they dismissed the North Division so 
so easily and so frequently. I, I'm not sure what they were seeing from the outside, but but watching them as we did, uh, you know, so often this season, uh, it surprised me. And and now Montreal's showing that that uh, it wasn't to be dismissed. Uh, whomever made the playoffs and whichever team would represent Canada and the Canadian division. Gene, I, I wasn't aware of that uh, Carey Price story. Um, I think one story that a lot of people were aware of, we saw Luke Richardson the other night oh, uh, yeah. tap the lapel pin. Uh, whoa. Yeah. Uh, going to be okay, Robin? It's a tough story. Luke was a young dad uh, here in Edmonton with his uh, – with. And, you know, it's, you'd sit down in the room then when the room was more open and you talk to the players and you got, you got more of a feel for what they were about. Uh, and that's a, a time gone by now. It's all scrums. We know things have, have changed. This was, this was uh, uh, a family man, even as a young dad, uh, who had everything in context and, to see that the other night, uh, I think it hit a. I think it hit home with a lot of people because you know family first. It, uh, the sport's important. It's the Stanley Cup for crying out loud, and people are watching it. But that little motion, um, man, that hit me like a ton of bricks, and I'm sure it hit a lot of people. How about you? Oh, it was beautiful. Uh, sad, but. Exhilarating and exciting and so beautiful for him. Literally, the first second he had after the game, and you know, I loved, I, I loved how he went from coach to dad like that. It was just instant, and you know, you know, just uh, you know, to think what he would have went through, and his family would have went through, and his his girl would have went through uh, to find herself in that situation. And for him to, to survive, um, and I know Luke uh, from his playing days and his coaching days, and, you know, the guy would have a lifetime job in the game. He's loved by so many. Uh, I, I love that. Um, and I just can't imagine, um, you know, what his daughter might have been thinking upstairs watching her dad do that. You know, we wish – we wish it hadn't happened, but boy, God bless Luke and his family for uh, living through that, fighting through that, and finding a way, which seems impossible, to make something good, positive happen out of it. Okay, let's also talk about the Islanders yeah. and Tampa. And, Jeez. I mean, you want to talk about a crazy series. The Tampa Bay Lightning just look, they look like very strong defending champs. But the New York Islanders look like they want to make life as miserable as they possibly can for the Lightning. <laughs> and this series is deadlocked at the time of our taping of this podcast. But your thoughts on that series? Well, I, I you know, watching the two, uh, watching that series, I'm thinking, what country is Long Island in with all those fans? Yes. <laughs> They're at bay. Like, honestly, it feels like it's, it's a different world, you know. And sometimes my wife says, is that an old game? Because that's what it feels like for us. Montreal now has had 3,500 fans, uh, you know, watch them. The Islanders, listen, I, people aren't sure how much a coach means to a team. I, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure exactly. I've coached just, you know, like lower level my kids. and I, I, don't, I don't know. It, you know, only I think the players in the room would know from that team. But Barry Trotz, this can't be an accident. Uh, the Barry Trotz is able to put together these kind of teams um, on a year-to-year -year basis with different clubs after an incredible run with Nashville. I, I mean, how can you not cheer for the Islanders? Their fans are bonkers. And you know that, to me, the Islanders are a little like a Canadian market uh, or Boston where the tradition's been passed down, right? Dad was an Islanders fan when Bossy played and Nystrom played and Gillies played and Trottier. And now the Sun is a fan. Here's your and jersey. The, the Here's grand, your jersey, yeah. kid. Yeah, like you got you got no I don't think on Long Island you got a shot of being anything and, and in that area of being anything but a Islanders fan. So I love that, you know. And then there's Tampa kind of this this sleepier 
a hockey market, but still a wonderful hockey market. It's won a couple of Stanley Cups, and it is really a great place to go work, quote-unquote. Yes. Um, so it, it's a fantastic series. So there, there, there's lots of drama and excitement, and I, I, I mean, it, it would be, of course, nice to see Montreal get through for representing Canada, but, you know, Vegas-Long Island would, would be a wonderful series. Vegas-Tampa, uh, you know, I hope it's Montreal, and I think Montreal and the Islanders might be kind of neat. Uh, Tampa did win their cup. Uh, so, you know, the final four is always such a, a coin flip. But you're right, Tampa has those stars, and the Islanders have this team that just, I mean, Barzell's a star, uh, but they just have this great club. And, you know, Jordan Eberle's on the team. I always liked Jordan and still do. So, you know, part of me is pulling for him as well. You know, Gene, if you go back far enough and – being old as dirt, I can do that. Um, <laughs> the last team that I cheered for before getting into the journalism game was the New York Islanders when they were getting into that dynasty. Right. It's only because they drafted Lauren Henning from the New Westminster Bruins, who I watched as a kid. We know about the Cups. Now we know a long, about a long dry spell different buildings, so on and so forth. Um, the Oilers came along and clipped to that dynasty in the bud with their own. But I was reading this morning, uh, for the new rink next year, after some tough times and with the Stanley Cup tilt still to be decided, they've sold 15,000 season tickets for next year. Yeah, it's incredible. And they've been... Listen, you, you mentioned it. They've been shuffled around, right? Like, where are they going to play? They're building a new rink. Uh, I always enjoyed Nassau uh, County Coliseum, uh, and maybe because I grew up watching those two teams battle it out, so there was sort of a nostalgia. Uh, was it, you know, up to the standards that an owner would want when it came to earning revenue? Unfortunately not. Nostalgia, nostalgia doesn't pay a lot of salaries, uh, you know, but luxury boxes do and suites and low seats and all that kind of stuff. But I, you know, they've been kind of, you know, not disrespected, but it's been a franchise in limbo. Uh, where are they going to play? And, and, and when are we going to get this done? And are we moving them into Brooklyn? Are they Long Island? Are we going to split games? Uh, no one else has kind of found themselves in that situation. So there is that that pulling for a club and an organization that uh, you know has had to kind of go through some things that no one else in the league has been dealing with. And so, and I used to work with Ray Ferraro, and and Ray was a longtime Islander, and so there's definitely lots of different connections to the Islanders. Uh, and, and and they're you know they've been around a long time. Tampa obviously is a, a newer team, but I like my old Italian uh, paisan Philas. Bezito, if you ever, you know, you guys have met him. He's a wonderful, wonderful man, wonderful hockey man, brought that team to Tampa. So, you know, there's always storylines that you can root for. And I think the one thing I found, Bryn and Robin, over the years, uh, you, you talked about a Robin, you, the last team you cheered for, you end up cheering for, for, for people. Uh, you end up cheering for, for stories that involve people that would be a good a good story. You still have your favorite teams, but, you know, I look at Jerome McGinley, right? Played for the Flames, so, you know, hated Flames. And then you meet Jerome, and then you see the things he does, and then you get to talk to him, and you go, wait a minute, I'm supposed to hate this guy? Like, I know. I kind of like this guy. You know, he's a really good guy, right? So you, 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 you never sort of leave your allegiance, but you just find some other avenues to cheer for people. But you have this positivity about cheering for the New York Islanders, and then we have to talk about the shit disturbing of Stan Fischler, who I love Stan. Yeah. And, and, and I, yeah. I bet you if I turn around and look at my book uh, case back here, I, I've got to have at least oh, yeah. six to ten of his hockey books. I don't think anybody's written more hockey books than Stan. Oh, yeah. But yet he's, you know, he is an Islander guy through and through, as we probably all know. And but the you know his dismissal of the Edmonton Oilers not being a dynasty because yeah. they didn't win three in a row but won five of seven years, that's Stan to me. Yeah. But I know that's pissed a lot of people off. Oh, I know, I know, and you know a point made by him, right? If he had said, "Hey, the Oilers are kind of like the Islanders," okay, right? We would say, "Yeah, okay, five and seven, you know, very similar." Uh, first time I met Stan because I like you, Bryn, uh, had a number of his books. I mean, especially if you date back. Uh, as we were growing up, I mean, there weren't a lot of, he was one of the preeminent hockey writers and then he wrote books. And so you'd read them. And I, I, I loved his books. And the first time I met Stan, you know, I thought, 
wow, I always thought he would be taller, you know. I Like so many people, I just saw him on TV. And he was an interesting guy. And, and the one thing I'll say about him, he said, if you need anything, just yeah. let me know, right? And so I thought that was really nice of him. But, yeah, the stuff he said about the Oilers. <laughs> hey, and by wow. the way, we, we have to yeah. also credit Shirley, his, his wife who's long passed yeah. away now, who is another lovely lady. But Stan had that on air, that uh, air about him. And when you get a chance to meet him, was really nothing like that. Is that, oh, is that yeah, fair yeah, to say, you, you know, guys? Yeah, I, I agree. And Robin, you probably you've met him many times. And uh, I actually I remember on a sidebar, a Robin story. I, I remember going through uh, New York and Long Island and uh, playing New Jersey, and I was going to do an opening with a bunch of watches, and uh, just to kind of say, you know, uh, something about you know the others are be right on time tonight, start on time. And Robin said, maybe don't use those because then when we cross the border, they might stop us. And, <laughs> and so I didn't use them uh, because of because of Robin, actually. And it made sense because I remember the customs guy uh, stopped some people. Uh, I think uh, I, I think it was Vishnowski might have been stopped. But uh, so, Robin, I remember the days that you would travel with the team and the impact you had on me, let alone when you would stop your recorder if you didn't like the question. Anyone who's been in a anyone who's been in a scrum with Robin uh remembers that and then you'd get the you get the you get the you get the look but when he would stop his recorder was like okay that must be a bad question but i i learned a lot from robin and one more robin story if i can i remember when you broke the story robin um was it doug wait was becoming captain i think you broke that story yep. uh-huh. right and i remember slats looked at he was so mad because you'd done your job and I just thought, wow, this guy is good at what he does. And he's got so much kind of respect back in those days, you would have tweeted it out uh, very early. You kind of had to kind of wait for the paper the next morning, but uh, yeah, you, you were great at running your job. And of course, bring you help me out many times uh, with the Oilers. So it's kind of the media is one big, not always happy family, uh, but generally speaking, because we spend so much time together. Well, I thank you for the, uh, I thank you for the mentions, but I got to tell you, the watch thing, uh, Gene, was strictly selfish because there were, <laughs> there were a group of us who used to go down to Times Square, yeah. oh, Sparky and Barry Stafford and Maddie and Kevin Carius. Yes. And we'd go buy all those bogus Rolex <laughs> watches. And I tell you, I don't know that they were always declared. That's all. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, some good times. Hey, just good to finish time. off on the stand thing, I just uh, reached behind me oh, there and, you go. and got the all-time hockey's 100 book that's, that Stan wrote. And, of course, I bet he wrote this in every book. He goes, February 1991 to Bryn, number one on my list. Sincerely, Stan. <laughs> uh, but what I laughed at is on the cover, there's no New York Islander, but yet there's an Edmonton Oiler. Yeah, fact, well, you know so what? In fairness, there's Bobby Hull in a Jets jersey, yeah. Frank Mahovlich in a Leafs jersey. There's Mario, of course, and Guy Lafleur with Montreal. But Stan, uh, Stan always treated me well, so I'm not. I always loved it when a book yeah, yeah. just appeared on my doorstep in the mail. So yeah, yeah, and you know what I would say about him? He's he was kind of a showman before many people on TV became that, right? Uh, so many now we hear, oh, it's kind of, can't just be straight stats, numbers. You've got to be entertaining. You have to, you kind of in, in, engage the crowd. And I think that's what Stan did way before anybody else did. You br- among the first to do it. You brought the showmanship part up. So let's talk about you and the shtick that you've got going that I, I'm entertained <laughs> by. I love it. And because you know why, Gene? Because that's you. I mean, yeah. you, you, you want to have some fun. It's sports. And as I've, I remember first telling Bob Stoffer this, I've always viewed sports as the toy department of life. And it is, yeah. right? It's a place where we can go and just kind of lose ourselves for three or four hours. But you've treated it that well. But how's the response been? I know you get a lot of positive, but there's negative too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think social media, again, uh, you know, in the past, let's say 10 years ago or, or 12 years ago, you would do an opening and, you know, the people around you might say something, uh, you might get a text from a buddy, uh, and that was kind of it, and, and maybe a comment from your boss. But now you, you go back to the studio after an opening or after you've done something, and there's Twitter comments, and, you know, one guy will go, man, you know, 
you're great. You know, you do such a great job. And literally the next tweet will be, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you're on TV, you know? So um, I, I guess, that, you know, so yeah, negative reaction for sure. Um, I, it is who I am. And, and it's something that uh, I, I thank my bosses at Sportsnet. Um, I, I thank all the producers I've worked with and that have given me the opportunity to kind of have that creative license. Uh, I would say over the last couple of years, things have changed about what you can and can't do, uh, what you should and shouldn't do. Um, so uh, that's been uh, good in the sense that I think I used to just do stuff and that would be it. Well, now I usually check with certain levels uh, within our company, within our broadcast, just to make sure that they're seeing the same thing I'm seeing, or maybe they're seeing something different, right? Just a different perspective, but I love it. Honestly, if I, I wasn't able to, to be me and to do that stuff, the job wouldn't be nearly as, as, um, as fun. And again, uh, I've worked with great, you know, I currently work with Jack Michaels and, and Louis DeBrusque and Arna Ryan Singh and Chris Cuthbert and Craig Simpson and Jim Houston. And, you know, we got so many great uh, people that we work with. They know all the stats and the numbers. They got all that. And yeah, I'll 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 throw some numbers in there. But I'm more about kind of what's what's behind the person. What stories are to be told about you know something regarding their family or their upbringing or their passions or their hobbies or their superstitions. And so I love that avenue of kind of digging and finding out information and trying to relay to it to the audience in a somewhat entertaining, humorous way when it's called for and when it's not. Just give me the facts straight to camera and no fooling around gene i have loved so many of the shticks you've trotted out pre-game i mean if you show up in a hot dog gosh <laughs> i mean come on you've got you've got me right off the top now i don't expect <laughs> people out there to understand all the subtleties i mean we do I mean, okay, you want the hardcore guys, there's the beat writers and, and yeah. you know, then there's, you know, there's the rights holders. Well, you know, and then the radio folk that are there, you are there in the, when you're doing the silly stuff, you're there as a host. Yeah. You're, you're not breaking stories. Um, and I, you read the, so now, so you mentioned social media, it comes along. Hey, how can Gene Principe be taken seriously as a journalist? He's wearing a hot dog costume. <laughs> and, like, you can't separate the two. Like, right. clearly one's over the top. And there's a time, I mean, and maybe some of them saw your lamest act of all, and that was having newspaper guys on during the intermission on TV. <laughs> yes. <Holy>. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um you look like you're having fun and you know what? It's the entertainment business. We can't forget that. Can we? Yeah, I, I agree. It's funny. You mentioned the hot dog. I remember wearing it in Boston. It was a day game and uh, Fernando Pisani was with the team and uh, poor Fernando had come back from about, yeah, it was 12 or 13 games. Actually he had a bad back and he came back and uh, they said, Oh, the interviews over here. And he comes around the corner and he sees me. He goes, really? He goes, I got an interview talk to you a hot dog i said yeah sorry fernando and back then kelly buckberger was the assistant coach and i you know i remember saying it's the first time in hockey history a hot dogs interviewed a burger uh so nice. you know for me those are those are layups right those are those are easy and, and that's why i have to thank uh the people around me it's one thing to want to do it it's another thing for people to let you do it and it would be easy 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 and safer for everybody just to go you know what Let's not let's not do that. And I know when I'm hockey, on Hockey Night in Canada or you're on playoff games, of course, I, I get it. I get it. Would I like to do stuff? But I understand. It's We're in the playoffs. This is about Connor and Leon and Kerry and Mark Shifley. Pick, you know, pick a team, pick a player. Uh, but I like when we're doing some regional games and we can have some, some entertainment. And listen, this all kind of started after the cup run of 06 to game seven, which you covered Robin on a day to day flight to flight basis. Uh, you know, the next year the team won two of their last 20 games and people are coming home maybe from a good or so, so or not good day at work. And they turn on their TV and the team was struggling. And I thought, man, we, we gotta, we gotta deliver something that makes these people want to stay around and stick around and watch and not hit them with, they've lost this many in a row and their power plays over for this. And so that was kind of the, where it started and here we are 15 years later and you know and luckily for me it, 
it, it continues. I really do enjoy it, and it, it keeps the creative juices going. Well, I know a lot of people that like the banana thing. I don't see the appeal myself, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and as for the leprechaun outfit, which was my all-time favorite, I thought that you were yeah. going to become one of the lucky charms for the Edmonton Oilers, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, the banana one's a bit of a slippery slope. It right? is. That guy. It is. And it just, you know, you got to be part of the bunch. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Hey, before, <laughs> hey, before we go too far, of course, uh, our podcast, The Outsiders, uh, is powered by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. And Brent McIntosh just sent me these. He said, look, Brent, in honor of the guest on Monday, would you please include some real estate puns? In this, and so oh, I'm, I want to have you on nice. for this because he said the man who invented the door knocker won a Nobel Prize. That's true. <laughs> Two banks with different rates have a conflict of interest. And Brent also <laughs> says, My neighbor's sprinkler is a constant irrigation to me. We'll get into the rest later. Uh, you, know, you know what? I love, you know, that's what people, that's what I love about puns is that. Everyone can do them. Like, honestly, it's, it's, it's everyone that I happen to do them and I happen to do them on TV, but people do them all the time, you know? So I love those. Those are great. Behind my right shoulder, there is a uh, statue that my dad actually did. It was in art class. It's a William Shakespeare who said the uh, pun is the lowest form of wit yet. Nobody used it more than that guy. Although you're probably getting close. Gene. <laughs> I'm trying to challenge him. I'm trying to challenge him. Was there something in the water at the University of Alberta? Because you started along with me. We were just kind of yeah. having some fun at CJSR Radio, the campus radio station. John Sexsmith was another guy who went yeah. through CJSR. There had to have been something that we must have fumigated out of the studios because the three of us are notorious for bad, bad word usage like this. Yeah, yeah. The only journalist that came out of there was Mark Spector, because Mark used to be there as well at CJSR. Mark is a true journalist. Like, I love working with guys uh, like Mark, like Robin, who uh, aren't afraid to call it the way they see it. It's not an easy job. And I know, Robin, when you uh, covered the Oilers and did as well as anybody uh, in the National Hockey League, you would write a tough story. You would write a critical one if necessary when necessary, and there you were the next day in the in the dressing room. All we, you know, we all have our roles, back to what you were saying. Like, uh, you don't want, I'm going to say, 15 media guys in Edmonton. Everybody does the same thing. What You know, what what is the, for if you're a reader, a listener, a viewer, what's, that, that's no good. You, you want some variety. And so, uh, you know, when I work with Mark, obviously Mark, he's not afraid to, to speak his mind. Just like when we used to do those segments and intermissions, Robin, back in the old days uh, on TV. And that's tough. That's tough. You know, I, 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 I like being liked, uh, but you guys are okay with saying things that are, that are honest and true and what fans are often thinking when you write it or you say it. Well, I tell you what, I think that, Gene, if you and Bryn and Sex Smith went on a tour of comedy clubs, you'd make a shitload of money because <laughs> when you when you when you talk when you talk puns and it's funny if there's a little if there's a little mini uh, hall of fame coming from my end of things every time I see on Twitter and there's lots of them somebody tries a pun I always say thanks Gene yeah. Whether it's you or whether it's you or not, and they and they know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, hey, it's an art. I can't do it, man. I tell you what. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny because sometimes, especially when you have younger, uh, you know, people with the, your, your podcasts or listening to the radio or TV, you know, sometimes they they like I'll see a tweet and someone will say, "Oh, Ron McLean's using Gene Prince based material." Oh, like, hang on. Wait a, a minute here. Hang on a sec. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This just shows. Not, not that you, you don't know what's going on. It just shows you're a little younger because Ron, I mean, he is, listen, he's the master. Uh, he is the leader. Uh, he is the commissioner of the PHL, the Fun Hockey League. I mean, he is the guy, right? So I remember he used to do them with grapes uh, on Coach's Corner. That was and the then out. I just started, yeah, absolutely. Everyone would just wait, right? Everyone would just wait. What, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Uh, so, but that's nice that people think that, whether that I was the guy who started it or didn't or joined at whatever moment it's, you know, what do they say? Imitation is the finest form of flattery. And thanks for having my back on that, uh, Robin, when people do use puns on Twitter or social media. Hey, before we let you go here, 
Uh, we've got to mention too that another CJSR uh, guy. It was Morley Scott. Um, yeah, Mor- right. Morley yeah, was actually my was the sports director before I became the sports director. So yeah. there's another guy who uh, went through uh, the university and Cam Cole, another writer at yeah. the Gateway. Wow. Lisa Miller, who was a longtime sportscaster yeah. at CTV, here also went through there. It's uh, it was uh, really a great yeah. breeding Wonderful. ground, just uh, fantastic. Before we let you go, and we're running short on time. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, what's going to happen there? What do you think? Uh, I think he'll be back. Um, I, I think that the two sides have some work to do uh, to figure out a term, uh, what works relatively well for both, and what dollar figure. I mean, the, the kid's been around for 10 years, uh, longest-serving oiler. He loves the city. He's uh, entrenched in the city. You know, not from too far away, BC boy. Can get home back and forth as kind of he likes. Obviously, not during the hockey season, but so close to home. And and I, and I think that the Oilers uh, need him and want him. But <laughs> there's this thing called negotiations that take place, and it's it's an understanding. Here's where I think the agent uh, can really play a vital role. Uh, I understand he's taking care of his client and needs to, and that's his. You know, who he goes to first. But uh, I really think that uh, Rick Vallette with Octagon, who's done a great job representing lots of NHL players. Um, I, I think it's a really important role, right? Because this is a really important decision. It's not someone who's been here a couple of years. It's not someone who's not a top-line player. Um, it's not someone who doesn't do a lot of things like RNH does. So I think he'll be back. Uh, and I think maybe it's it's the, the, the wishful thinking in me. I think it's going to be a little bit less protracted and, and less – difficult than a lot of people think or maybe that's just what i hope anyways we're out of time we better let the banana split thanks for your uh (laughs) thanks for your time today uh this has been fun as always and it's great seeing you and enjoy euro 2020 will you take care boys always a pleasure robin and Brent. enjoy the summer Hey, the Outsiders is powered by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Well, we just were talking with Gene Principe, and uh, obviously Brent knew we were going to be doing that, so sent along some nice puns. We appreciate that. We kind of laughed because that's what you do with puns. You kind of laugh. But uh, one of the things we do want to tell you about is the great work they're doing. The whole team at the McIntosh Group is doing fine, fine work and one of the things that Brent was talking about is the fact that the spring market is now starting to change to a summer market. And I guess the question is, what does that mean? Now, although the temperatures are getting warmer, the market is now going to start to cool a little as inventory rises and sales start to slow down. We've been expecting that. We've been talking about that for a few weeks here. More homes for buyers to choose from, though. Less time for sellers to get their homes sold and move out before school starts. So if you're thinking about buying or selling, then make sure you give the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City a call. It's real simple. The phone number is 780-464-0075. Or you can find us on the internet at macintoshgroup.ca. And we promise no more puns. And thank you for that. So there we go, another episode of The Outsiders brought to you by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. Robin, that was fun. Yeah, always good to talk to Gino. I tell you what, one of the guys, when you went to the rink in the morning, always a smile, how's it going, usually followed by a pun. Yes. Um, Nice to talk to him today. Hey, uh, before we go, did you see the U.S. Open at all this weekend? I I really felt good for John Rahm, who... uh, was yanked out of, uh, if you recall, the final round of uh, the memorial about two weeks ago because of a COVID-positive test, and he ends yeah. up winning the U.S. Open, and it was just a crazy final round, but I really felt good for him yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I re- you remember his reaction when he was told that was it and he got pulled out uh, to come back right away like that. Yeah, good story. I mean, I tell you what, let's let's all get done with this. So can you imagine being in that position and says, sorry, uh, you're done playing? 
a tough one to see him bounce back right away like that. Terrific. Lost out on $1.674 million, but ends up winning $2.25 million two weeks later. And there's nothing more fun than watching a dad on Father's Day holding his little baby. I thought that was mm-hmm. a great, great picture. But I, I just wanted to end on a nice, happy note because I, I, as crazy as it was, and Mackenzie Hughes, the Canadian, our Canadian hope, I didn't tune into the final round until a little bit later on Sunday afternoon. And the very first thing, mm-hmm. I, without a word of a lie, turn the television on, and the first thing that comes up on the big screen is this golf ball sitting in a tree. And I went, oh, the poor bugger. Who was that? It was our guy. It's a Canadian guy. And it just it was so hard to overcome that. But anyway, it's just uh, been a fun week. That's pretty much it. Uh, oh. Do you have anything else? Are we missing out on anything? I didn't see the big deal in that. I mean, I probably <laughs> blew four or five balls into the trees every round I played, but they usually came down. Yeah, that was uh, kind of unfortunate. And I'm with you. I've found uh, many of my golf balls in the most unusual places on the golf course, too. So when I saw it, it didn't shock me except that it was a PGA event, so that was pretty much it. Hey, uh, before we go too much further, we we have to do what I call house cleaning or housekeeping, and that is tell everybody about where they can find us. And uh, all you can do is you can email us at theoutsiders at shaw.ca. Your your suggestions for guests, always welcome, or thoughts, whatever. The email, theoutsiders at shaw.ca. You can check us out on Twitter. The handle's really simple. It is at outsiders2020. Also, make sure you tell your buddies to subscribe or follow our RSS feed on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, and Pocket Cast, etc., etc. We're also on YouTube. You can't see us yet. We'll work on that. But uh, you can listen to us on podcasts. As I said last week, that seems to be growing, and uh, I kind of like that. But the other thing, too, your support is, uh, is greatly appreciated. We'd be thrilled to talk to any potential advertising partners because uh, we spend a good chunk of our Monday morning doing this show and we're not getting paid for it, but uh, it's really kind of nice when we have people kind of uh, step up to help us out a little bit. Wouldn't you say, Robin? Absolutely, man. You know what? We have fun. If you have fun and a little money besides bonus. The other thing too, we can come up with some great features and we're going to be working on that over the next few weeks. Anyway, we'll get bigger and better with your support. The growth over the past few months has been really noticeable. And the other big thing is on social media, make sure you keep retweeting to your pals because if they send the message out, that's fantastic as far as we're concerned. Nothing else, Robin? No, I'm good, man. Okay, great. We'll talk to you next week. You sure will. Storm in the castle. <laughs>